Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind good morning or afternoon or night depending on where you are in the world. It's morning for me, so I'm going to assume it's morning, and we're just going to pretend like it is for everybody listening. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm your gracious and loving host, Mr. Nick Thacker, and I'm here with my other, possibly more gracious, certainly more loving, maybe not as much of a co-host, Kevin Tunnels. <laughs> I can't give you three compliments in a yeah. row. I've got to temper it, or yeah. people lose their minds. But how are you doing, mister? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling co-hosty today. Co-hosty. So Mm -hmm. we'll run with it. We're in interesting times right now. So we got lots of interesting topics that are sort of evolving as we go. Well, I think we're ever going to run out of topics. Is it? I don't know. All right. It could be a segue for mine, I'm sure. But I want to hear what this. I'm not going to give it away. I'll let you lead us into it. But I want to hear what this is about. This is interesting. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, I'll open up. So what I'm bringing to the table today is a theory called phantom time hypothesis. This is really interesting to me, and I actually heard about it quite a while back, and it's intriguing, but the general hypothesis is that we are not actually living in the year 2022, that in fact, we're off by about 297 years, I think is Mm. the total, and the idea here is that way back in the that right now, actually, they're claiming that the year is actually 1722 instead of 1720. So this hypothesis came around in 1991 with a German historian named I'm going to see if I can do this. Herbert, mm-hmm. Herbert Illig and oh, his we'll go it. We'll say Illig is probably it. All right. <laughs> so Illig proposed that basically back in like the 700s, I'm trying to find the exact date. So, oh no, 900. So in 996, okay. So basically the idea is that back when the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III and Pope Sylvester II and the Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII all got together and decided that it would be much cooler if Emperor Otto was ruling in the year 1000 instead of 996 Mm. AD. So they changed the date so that he could be ruling on an even number millennial year. And then things kind of progressed from there. So there was another, let's see, Illig further claims, I want to read this part because this kind of helps summarize it. So Illig further claims that the trio altered existing documents and created fraudulent historical events and people in order to back themselves up. He claims that the Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne was not, in fact, a real ruler, 
but simply a King Arthur type legend. And he explains that through all of this tampering and forgery, an extra 297 years were added to history. And it goes on, and this article is really kind of fascinating. It's, a, it's sort of a deep dive into the whole thing. But hmm. you know, we're talking about this is a conspiracy on a massive and historic scale. Like you've got <laughs> forged documents, fake lives, <laughs> fake emperors. <laughs> so basically, the Middle Ages, according to this theory, did not exist except on paper. And what's interesting to me, by the way, is that right now, there's a woman on Instagram, which is always, a, I think it's Instagram or TikTok, always a great source of information. She's a historian, she claims, but she's claiming that the Roman Empire or that Rome itself never existed. Like the whole Roman okay. Empire never existed. And it's the All same right. sort of idea. <laughs> she's saying that it was made up by the Spanish Inquisition as a means of controlling people. And that she, as support for these claims, she states things like, What's the Roman language? There's no Roman. There's no documents mm. written in Roman. Everything's written in Greek or you know, Latin or whatever. And uh, most Roman architecture is Greek architecture. And there's a lot of Greek written on the walls of these places. And documents from the era are not directly attributable to anyone that we can historically verify. So she's got this whole elaborate theory. She's kind of an ass about it, frankly. But, <laughs> As um, one would have to be to deny the existence of the entire Roman Empire. You would have to be. But when you find out that there's a potential with actual legitimate historical evidence to support it, that we're 297 years off from what year we think it is, conspiracy theories like her start to take on a little more credibility. So there's a sort of interesting dynamic at play here that the history we think we know isn't real. That's kind of a given these days. But the right. fact yeah. that there are actual, you know, there's theories, hypotheses that are that are slowly finding support in the historical and uh, scientific community that could back this up. That's what's truly interesting to me. <laughs> So. Yeah. No, definitely interesting. There's a couple things about it. First of all, I'm interested about Illig's claim about Charlemagne not being, a, in fact, a real ruler. I don't know much about Charlemagne, to be fair, other than I assumed he was real. <laughs> so I'd be really interested. I'm going to dig into that part of it because I'm interested to see how he just says that. And then, you know, do yeah. we have his bones somewhere? Because that would be one way of saying, yeah, this was a guy that we all agree is called Charlemagne, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I the second say, part of it, by the way, for the record, I don't necessarily believe this stuff and I haven't done anything to vet <laughs> any of this. So don't take this as definitive, but it's an interesting theory and I'd love to kind of look into it a little further. But you are supposed to be telling us things that are real. This is real. The conspiracy is real. Conspiracy is real. <laughs> That's so, and it's not even, I, like I don't that. even know. It's not a conspiracy. It's a hypothesis. The hypothesis, hypothesis is yeah. a real hypothesis. Now, what I haven't done is go verify that that hypothesis is real or is in right. fact a theory proven. But of course, I don't think anyone has, you know, maybe there's evidence that disproves this, you know? So that's all I'm saying. Don't take this as this is absolute proven fact. It's not absolute proven fact because it is in fact a hypothesis, which is the definition of hypothesis. So that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Well, the second thing that I was going to point out here is I am really interested in hearing more things like this, where you've got a group of old white guys, because it's always old yeah. white guys, 
in Western history, right? History books are written by the victor. White guys have been the victor for a lot of things. It's these old white guys that get together and just decide things. And this is how we decided what books were going to be canonized in the Bible. Um, Although I was told yesterday that Augustine was a black guy. I didn't know that. But the point is, like, this is how we agree that things become canonical in the Bible. We get a bunch of old white guys in a room and we decide. We just say, this is accurate and this is not. And there's, you know, the optimist in me says, well, there's probably some factual information that these guys are using to quantify and qualify certain documents and not others. But they don't necessarily have to because no one's arguing with them back then. They're just going to come out and say, this is the Bible. This is all the stuff that God said and all the other stuff is not what God said. And so I just find this kind of stuff interesting because it's the same sort of deal. It's these guys that get together and they're like, hey, world, Charlemagne didn't exist and we're actually going to just jump forward 297 years. And everyone's like, I just want to eat like some bread today. Like I don't literally care about any of this crap that you guys are talking about. And so they just go unchecked for millennia, right? And we end up finding... Well, there could be a thing. There could be something that happened. There could be some kind of falsification going on. And now we have to dig in and find out. I think it's cool. I think it's yeah. fascinating in a lot of ways why they're motivated to do this. But I also find it strangely believable <laughs> because the situation, you know, it's like nobody cares. No real people, you know, no real normal humans are going to really care about this because they're trying to survive. You know, this is the Middle Ages. <laughs> well, and think about the overall implications of this that we'd have to deal with as a reality. For example, carbon dating would be off by at least 297 years, right? So mm-hmm. if you're using carbon dating to, say, verify a document, how many documents have been verified as fake that happened within that span of 297 years, right? That's true, yeah. So it throws off our historical record. Uh, it can actually alter some of the outcomes of sort of some of our scientific hypotheses, like some of the things that science has proclaimed are time dependent. So if you are looking at this from a broader perspective, you know, having a gap of 297 years of missing time has profound consequences across the board or can. It can. Yeah. This, which opens up lots of thriller. I was going to say lots of ideas here. There's lots of things coming out. I'm thinking of an historical thriller about the Crusades, where it was all just, you know, a misunderstanding of time, essentially. Propaganda. Could have led to a lot of things happening. You know, one thing led to another, uh, which we're not allowed to do in writing. We can't say that. By the way, this is writing advice. Don't say one thing led to another. Don't say sure enough either, because that's lame. (laughs) When an author goes, one thing led to another, and I'm like, you're supposed to tell me what the things are that led to another. (laughs) <laughs> that's the whole point of your existence. That's, that's your job right now. <laughs> that's your job, one, man. One thing led to another, and they caught the villain. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Don't do that. Oh, that's funny. I've got one for you, man. This is really interesting. I, I couldn't do it. I was trying to make a nice segue into this from yours, but I just can't do it. Meanwhile, in Brazil, <laughs> how about that? There lives a dastardly little fellow called the Bullet Ant. And these guys, these are a lot of fun. You've heard of these, I'm sure. Everyone is kind of, this has been popularized as this really terrifying little insect. And it turns out it's just a nice, lovely little ant. Not little, actually. It's like an inch long. It's the biggest ant. It's pretty big. Yeah. Pretty big. But it's supposedly the most painful sting of any insect on the planet. You get stung by this thing, you're going to feel it. You're going to know. It's, uh, I'm trying to, uh, where did the article go? I lost it. I was going to read the actual Latin name of the thing. I can't find it anymore. The point is Paraponera clavata. 
There it is. Did I already give it to you? Yeah, I must have. You didn't give it to me. Okay, well, you found it. <laughs> Araponera clavata. It's a tropical yeah. rainforest ant. So it lives down there in the Amazon, that whole basin. You know, it's pretty, you know, so the things in the Amazon, this is kind of an aside, but I love the Amazon because there's so much crap there that we just don't understand. So much right. stuff happening that we don't know. The fact of the matter is that a lot of things grow much larger there. I don't know there's actual science. There must be something about the oxygen levels being higher or something. But that's yeah. where you've got the centipedes that are like two feet long, you know, that suck yep. your brain out. And uh, that's not true, but that's in my nightmares. I hate centipedes. <laughs> you got these bullet ants that are an inch long and their sting is, you know, so dang. It's like, geez, this is an entire world down there created for everything to kill everything else on steroids. It's just, it's, it's just jacked up to an nth degree. And the bullet ant is no exception. Apparently, it's the most painful sting known to man any insect. It's also known as the 24-hour ant, the conga ant. I wonder if yeah. it's because it's in conga. I wonder if it's over. No, that's Congo. Never mind. Conga ant. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Wrong continent. The right. lesser giant hunting ant. That just sounds like a scientist being a jerk. Yeah, they look like ants. You know, they're reddish black ants. They got really large pinchers and you can see the stinger all the time on these things. I don't think it, it goes into its abdomen, but these guys live for about 90 days. They live in central South America conservation status. That's nice. So we are not concerned about these things. They're doing just fine. They do not need our help yeah. in any way. They're living right. the dream down there, stinging people. But you may have heard of this in relation to this tribe, the Mare tribe, I think is the name of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an indigenous yeah. tribe that lives down there and uses this bullet ant as a sort of indoctrination S- ritual. Yeah. yeah. Right. The, oh, sorry, the Mawe, not the Mare, the Mawe, the Satere Mawe people of Brazil. Uh, it's like a rite of passage for them. Um, so the boys, specifically the ones who want to become warriors, or maybe everyone does, I don't know. They gather these ants and they sedate them. They just put them in this herbal liquid or something and they fall asleep. And then yeah. they weave these gloves made out of palm leaves. Really cool, intricate looking things too. They're really nice gloves, huge gloves, like oven mitts. Yeah. And yeah. they weave the ants into the oven mitts with the stingers in the inside pointing into the inside of the glove. And then they wake up the ants and they shove a kid's hand in there. <laughs> and that's it. The, the kids got to wear them like five to 10 minutes. And apparently they got to do this like 20 times before they're considered to be a full on Maui warrior. Yeah. That's the ritual. So they get stung and they take their hand out and it's like swollen, completely numb. They can't feel it. And uh, apparently that's their ritual. That's what they do. If you can leave it on for five to 10 minutes, then you get to become a warrior. If you do that same thing, like 20 times over the next several months. Just crazy to me. And it's almost like they're trying to build up some immunity to this. But as it turns out, the neurotoxin that these ants release is not dangerous at all. Like it'll, it's a neurotoxin. So it'll, it'll paralyze that area, like a local anesthetic almost, but you will feel it. But then it completely works out of your system in 24 hours. So it's kind of cool. There's no trace of this stuff after, after about a day, you stick your hand in the oven mitt and you are in agony for literally a day and then you are done and you're totally fine. And apparently there's no trace of it, except you feel like you're like on a high, you're on some like adrenaline high. There was another article I read. I can't remember the guy's name, but I think his job, like he goes around the world and gets stung by shit for fun. And okay. then writes about it. Like that's his, he's a stingy. <laughs> and stingy. that's his, his job. He's an entomologist. Entomologist. Yeah. Entomologist, I guess. Studies bugs, right? Yeah. I mean, he goes around and he looks for these little guys and he gets stung by them. And he did confirm that it is extremely painful. One of the worst pains he'd ever felt. Certainly the worst pain from a little bug. But he also said, uh, I think his quote was, I felt after a day, after it wore off, 
I felt like my adrenaline was pumping so high. If I jumped off a cliff, I could fly. Now, thankfully, he didn't wow. do that, and he didn't learn that he could not fly. He's still on the ground on Earth, safely getting stung as a stingy all around the world for us, for <laughs> our entertainment, for our information and knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you think about these little guys, man? Would you would you do it? If you got to be initiated into this warrior tribe, would you stick your hand in that glove? Yeah, I probably would. I mean, I imagine I'd regret it, you know, almost instantly and for the next 24 <laughs> hours or so. But yeah, I would do it. What's interesting, you know, so I have like a severe allergy to ant venom anyway. Fire ants, you know, I get blistered welts and things like that. I think a lot of people do. But I mean, for some reason, they impact me pretty big, but I'd still do it. I actually, well, so that's, that's interesting to me because I was reading another article too about these guys and the science, they're, they're saying that these, unlike other things like fire ants and other types of ants, there's almost no immune response. There's no histamine response to these guys. There's just no allergen there. And I'm sure there's always an exception. That's why they said most and not all, but I'd be really yeah, curious. Yeah. I kind of want to go down to Amazon with you. Yeah. And stick your hand in Watch me suffer. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> walk around and see you know, if I find one of these Maui people and say, hey, you got one of them oven mitts we can shove this guy's hand into? Yeah. I just want to see something. I sort of did this by accident when I was a kid because I was staying with my uncle. And while everyone else was off kind of doing their thing, I was riding my cousin's bike. And for some reason, I don't know why, decided I would stop on the sidewalk and lay down at the edge of the sidewalk for some reason. And then. Oh, a moment later, I felt the first sting, and I realized I had laid down in an ant bed and was covered with fire ants over most of my body at that point. So I've been through that. I've, I've done the rite of passage, but I'd do it again on my you hands. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. You to be an Amazonian warrior. You know, a lot of these tribes, you, what you find out, what's interesting about the Amazon, and I think you're right about the level of oxygen because it is, you know, with the Amazon forest there, it's one of the places on earth where the you know, concentration of oxygen is going to be the highest. Well, they call it like the lungs uh, of the earth or something. That's what they say. I am they. They, they say this. But we find the reason the Amazon is so vital to us in the modern age is because we're constantly coming across things that nature has constructed that solve certain issues in the modern world, health issues, things like that. I mean, people are convinced we'll find the cure for cancer in the Amazon if we don't burn it all down first. I'm not convinced. Um, we haven't already found it. I'm with you. I, Knowing I'm what I know sure. about American pharmaceutical companies, yeah. I bet it's out there yeah. already. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a Pfizer vial somewhere full of mm -hmm. uh, 100% cancer prevention. But <laughs> what's interesting to me about stories like this and the, you know, these tribes use these ants, and we've actually seen stories like, again, the first thing that pops in my head is that is Amazonia from James Rowland's. But yep. the idea that, you know, sometimes these tribes will do this stuff and there's a medicinal purpose to it. That's sort of a side benefit of it. So it's like a rite of passage and sounds arcane and painful and terrible. But, you know, this kid is now immune to half the toxins in the rainforest or something. There's little things like that that happen all the time. This is how, by the way, we discovered things like aspirin, tobacco, <laughs> you know, yeah. all these, these things that are now sort of part of the common lexicon. Of, of products are all naturally de derived. Most of them came from the rainforest and were used by, you know, indigenous people there for a variety of purposes, some of which we would think of as just hokum, you know, like it's mm -hmm. just mythology and voodoo. But uh, the reality is some of that stuff, you know, we haven't explored all of it, you know? So, and what do you always say, man? You said on the show, like numerous times that the mythology and folklore 
is yeah. often spread so widely and repeated so often because it's based or at least rooted in truth. You know, that I'm recalling the Civil War episode. Well, we didn't do an episode about the Civil War, but because that was real, and the, we all know. But, the you know, angel cool. or yeah, angel the, the whatever it is. Yeah, the, I was yeah, just listening to that. Like that. <laughs> People are glowing because their wounds are getting filled with this bacteria. And it was discovered by some 17-year-old kid, like 200 yeah. years after. Yeah. yeah, Everyone had just dismissed it as this, well, yeah, but civil war, people are crazy back then, you know, whatever. They were all high or drunk or something. And, and while that was probably true, <laughs> there was a lot of truth to this thing. So much so, in fact, that it's 100% true that these people would glow because of this yeah. glow-in-the-dark bacteria that would crawl into their open wounds and, frankly, keep them alive because of it. Because of the warmth allowing the bacteria to survive and then cleaning the wound that the bacteria did. Because it was right. this mutually beneficial thing. It's just crazy to me. And that's how I feel about a lot of the stuff in the Amazon. Like these guys, we probably, the Mawe people, and I don't know anything about them. Somebody probably does. But I would be willing to bet that we know far less about them than we do about Germans. Yeah. You know, or people from Africa. Like there's this different civilizations that we've studied around the world. And this is not one of them. And so I bet there's a reason these Maui people did this a long time ago. Like they were allergic to these bulleting. And they've been doing it for thousands of years where they've just been developing an immune response to these things because they needed that in order to hunt. I bet there's just a simple explanation for that. And then over time, for whatever reason, the two different and divergent evolution structures, the neurotoxin was not uh, was inert, essentially, in humans became inert. I don't know. I just find all that fascinating. I feel like we're never going to know. You know, I feel like we're never going to have a definitive answer for that and many other mythology and folklore and legend type things. The question marks surrounding stories like this when you discover things like this exist, that's fertile ground for storytelling because we won't ever know for sure. But most people haven't heard of bullet ants or uh, the concept of putting on a pair of you know, oven mitts made of palm leaves and ants uh, stinging you. That's something very foreign and, but intriguing to people. It's like, what is the purpose? You, know, you can call it an initiation rite, but that's Western science anthropologists looking at this group and this practice and interpreting what they're being told from outside of the culture. We don't know what really started all that. So there could be other benefits to it that have been lost to time or that yeah. they're not willing to share. You know, that's the interesting thing about anthropology is why I'm so interested in anthropology. And once you start looking at these various cultures, they're not always truthful with you. Like they don't always share. We have this sort of impression that these guys are going out in their pith helmets and you know, they're bringing our modern 1700s age to, <laughs> that's a callback, <laughs> to the noble savage, which, you know, was blatantly racist idea to begin with. But right, right. we have that vision still to this day. But the reality is that, you know, let's say aliens landed on Earth today and began communicating with us and studying us. And, and uh, we found their presence benign enough that... Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str. 